had enough of the been there, done that ideas, tired of too much talk and so little action. Rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now. Welcome, I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear with the Center for Transformation and Change. I am excited to start this new four-part series with senior diversity officers. These are in addition to some of my regular monthly ones where today we're talking about insights from senior diversity officers at colleges and universities, keeping an equity inclusion focus, a lens during this pandemic and beyond. And I'm so excited to welcome my first guest, Dr. Kevin McDonald, who so graciously agreed when I wasn't really sure what I was wanting to do, but I knew there was a gap and I knew I had a lot to learn. And I first remember meeting you, Kevin, uh, just a few years ago when you were at the University of Missouri and brought me in to really help the senior leaders look at where they were and where they wanted to go and just really was impressed with your leadership around equity inclusion in the aftermath Hmm. of the murder of Michael Brown and Ferguson and all the regional, local, national protests for true racial justice. And I was impressed how you were working to accelerate their work around equity, inclusion, and social justice. And then I'm delighted that we reconnected now that you're at the University of Virginia as the Vice President for Equity and Inclusion Diversity there. So could you just, first of all, thank you. Thank you for joining. And then just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, if you will. And then I really want you to talk about how you personally are doing during this pandemic, because we're week, what, five and six for some people. So how are you doing and who are you? Yeah, thank you, Kathy. It's so great to be on. I really appreciate the invitation. We feel like we've become kind of fast friends from our connection during the time at Missouri. And I really appreciate your leadership and lending of your expertise to help guide our institutional leaders as they were grappling with really wanting to kind of weave this diversity, equity, inclusion work into the fabric of their respective units academically. So I really want to thank you for taking the time and and, and for inviting me on. Um, So who am I? I am um, someone who's been in this DEI space for some time. Gosh, I I broke into higher education back in 1999, which was my first kind of diversity related job at the University of Maryland at College Park. It's funny, if my wife if my partner was here, she would tell you that I owe my entire higher education career to her because she found it when we were still looking for jobs in the newspapers, right? A job in the Washington Times asking for someone who could investigate complaints of discrimination for the entire University of Maryland campus. So I did that for 46,000 faculty, staff and students. Um, really enjoyed that, started that and then actually started my time with regard to kind of social justice conflict resolution. We started that with a peer mediation program there. Left there, went to Johns Hopkins University and did both the investigations of complaints of discriminations, but also started a 
mediation kind of service to the community there. So did that, went to Virginia Tech where I led an Office for Equal Opportunity Affirmative Action Program, started another social justice conflict resolution effort there. And then about two and a half years in uh, that kind of reactive work from a compliance standpoint, there was a vice president, a CDO who retired. And I applied for that job, got it, and that was my first foray into kind of the proactive world of diversity. And I actually merged the offices and became their vice president for equity and inclusion. So I did that there, went to Rochester Institute of Technology. And then when the president retired at Rochester Institute of Technology, I was thinking about what my next uh, opportunities might be. And um, this opportunity at the U University of Missouri system came calling. And that was an opportunity that no one seemed to want to touch with a 10 foot pole. My, my mentor, who was my president at RIT, even said that, um, Kevin, you've made some really good career choices, but I think this one is going to be a career killer, right? So this was, um, this was something that, gosh, you know, I had to really think about. And I wasn't sure where the leadership support was. I wasn't sure where the community was. And you've kind of accurately depicted the timing of everything from Michael Brown's death at Ferguson um, to the pro to kind of boycott of the football team, resignations of senior leadership, uh, hunger strike. <laughs> there were, I mean, if it, if it could happen, it did happen there. But when I had an opportunity to actually come to that campus and engage with the community, I really saw through to their hearts and they were really looking for a partner, someone that they could really collaborate with. They wanted to reflect on the past in a way that informed the present and the future. Uh, and they said, if anyone is going to be successful in this role, they have to engage, they have to engage early and often. So it really was a wonderful journey for me uh, with students, with amazing active students, uh, actively engaged students, faculty, staff, local community, with regard to leadership. Uh, and so that was a wonderful experience. So I was there and then uh, a wonderful opportunity came here uh, to come to the University of Virginia and Charlottesville sometime after when they had their own level of crises, right, that they went through in August of 2017. And I was connected with an amazing leader who is the president of the University of Virginia, uh, President Jim Ryan, who has been transformative in his own leadership and is definitely a strong diversity lens. Uh, so I'm grateful to be here, grateful to be engaged in this work, but quite honestly, um, recognizing that I've been shaped with all of my experiences along the way and just grateful for all of the the places that I've been and all of those that I've engaged with. Um, as far as how am I doing, gosh, it is, uh, it is definitely a, a challenge, right? I mean, on a number of different fronts. One, this notion of just being isolated. Um, our work is, is, is predicated so much on human interaction and relationship building, um, edifying others with important information. Uh, and to have that, it feels like this pandemic has been the great neutralizer for some of our important diversity, equity, and inclusion work of wanting to do that, of being able to be in the communities that we serve. And so that has been a challenge in thinking about how to be nimble uh, as a, a, a diversity, equity, inclusion unit, um, as a division engaged with this work. How do you uh, develop a level of nimbleness that allows you to still engage and connect with the constituency that you serve? On some level, I felt at least as though I've been somewhat adequately equipped. I'm an only child, so I'm used to some level of isolation. Right? So I think others in my family are going batty a little bit and they're craving for more interaction. Um, but you know, I've been able to navigate that with, uh, uh, with some level of ease, but it is definitely 
been something to just continue to engage with my colleagues in this work and think about how, just based on a number of different scenarios, how we might be continue to be nimble in serving uh, the constituency that we serve. I so relate that folks uh, are wanting more social connection. It might be one reason I wanted to talk with you. And what I'm also learning as I'm talking offline, online with folks is the senior leadership and maybe two or three levels are so caught up in the crisis management, emergency management. And so could you just talk a bit more about what do you see in the impact, senior leaders, campus community, um, just what's going on and what do you envision the impact is? Because where we're going, even in the short term, how do we keep equity inclusion on people's screen? But I think many folks have forgotten what folks at your level are dealing with literally moment by moment. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, it's everything. It's, it's amazing when you think about just any of the past leadership courses or leadership offerings that people take in, you feel like you have every chapter, you know, in any of those offerings coming at you all at once, right? I mean, there are so many things that our leaders are navigating from um, how to best serve our community, how to ultimately serve the, the health needs that are arising, either for those that might need to be self-isolated, for those uh, within our health workforce that need places to stay, for those contract workers that aren't able to perform the essential functions of their job, but you ultimately recognize the importance of being able to provide um, so important economic benefits to them so that they can continue to kind of live right in the, the way that they need to be able to live and access goods and services that they need to be able to access the community needs uh, that are out there, the impact of poverty, the homeless needs. I mean, it is the food insecurities that are dominating our communities. Like we are being ravaged economically in many of those surrounding communities. And you're thinking about it as an institution that's an anchor institution in your own community, but also trying to serve those that are part of your institutional community that are seeking that as well. Thinking about um, the economic challenges that come from having to kind of refund housing costs or dining costs, service our own student needs, transfer services that you were providing um, on your campus or on grounds, as we would say here at UVA, to virtual uh, aspects. So I think about counseling needs of our students, right? And being able to transfer that virtually, having to do this not in the matter of months, but in the matter of hours or days, right? Almost instantaneous. So long early meetings, late into the evening, sometimes over the weekend, continue updates on the gaps that exist, our thoughts with regard to how to, to fill them. And then lastly, I would say some of the expectations that came along with some of the experiences that our students brought here, for example, graduation, right? And thinking about how do we ultimately try to meet a need potentially as a stopgap, maybe virtually, and then identify some date in the future where we will be able to hold some level of an exercise to give them some semblance and their family members some semblance of a co connection to the institution. Thinking about what it's going to be like in the fall. Is that going to be an online offering? Are we going to do something in person? What are other um, colleges and universities doing and what are the financial implications if you ultimately are going online at a full freight or should you be ultimately uh, providing a discounted rate and 
it, it, what about students who really want an on-campus experience that maybe feel that they can't get that or they don't want an online experience? Do you ultimately, will you ultimately have some melt? So it's, it seems there are a plethora of things that are going on that we feel like we're grappling with. And um, yeah, they're coming fast and furious, that's for sure. I'm needing a deep breath. It's so helpful to hear you to remind me because I know external social justice change agents, consultants like me, and internal diversity, equity, change agents who are not at the almost senior and senior levels may not appreciate and understand. And so when we are wanting equity, inclusion, social justice centered in everything we do and frustrated when there are decisions that inadvertently continue to have a negative impact across race and class and immigration status, and I could keep going. So just the, all you are carrying, particularly in your role. So if you could talk a bit about what are ways you are helping other senior leaders who, if they're like me, I'm assuming mostly predominantly white, not only your campus, but others, predominantly white institutions. When I get so stressed into conflict, emergency crisis management, my social justice lens, sometimes I put to the side, not out of a intent, but just like I'm back in old behaviors. So what's it like for you in your role as a senior diversity officer VP? And what are some of the ways that you are supporting leaders keeping equity, inclusion, social justice centered as they're making literally life impacting decisions? Yeah, I think one of the important things uh, that comes with this role is to ultimately think strategically about how do you can keep diversity, equity, inclusion as, as, as a center part of those conversations, right? Those critical conversations that are going on. And it's important because it, to your, life gets in the way. You're absolutely right. There are times in which uh, sometimes it's intent versus impact, right? And maybe it, it, on some level, people don't see the connection that DEI plays in some of the decisions that they're making. I think it's important for those in our roles and quite honestly, other cross-functional partners that are just important allies in the field to be able to continue to make sure that these things are top of mind. A lot of that may be easily centered around notions of equity and detrimental impacts that could be having, uh, decisions could have on community needs and being able to interject those strategically in conversations. And it is important because you wanna make sure that you are interjecting them at the right time so that the pores of receptivity are the most open so that the leaders can receive it and ultimately utilize the information, right? So it's not diluted because of the pervasiveness of how you're ultimately trying to keep it at the forefront of the conversation. So that's one. The other thing that I think is critically important is aligning yourself with cross-functional partners to also think strategically about how to ultimately get that message across, right? It could be those it could be faculty, staff, it could be deans, it could be uh, administrative units, but really having conversations about others that are really engaged in this work to really talk about uh, how can we ultimately fill this gap? How can we move the needle <clears throat> in this regard? And sometimes those are things that you can move even without thinking about everything having to be a top-down approach. So I think those are also really important strategies that I utilize. There are countless now Zoom meetings where, for example, there were, <laughs> I, could, I told someone the other day that I've had 
enough Zoom meetings to last a lifetime, right? But but part of that strategically now is actually aligning yourself with those that are engaging this work. So I'm part of a, a weekly gathering of those that are really focused on the community and those that are in the community that are focused on it, but also those that are um, at UVA that are really focused on this work and just talking about, okay, where are the efforts? Where are the um, intersect synergistic intersections that we can be aligned or make sure that we align or where are the gaps that we need to make sure that we're filling. And it's just great to know that we're not, we're working in concert, right? And um, not working independently and working in silos, attempting to do the same thing. So that's been really helpful, Kathy. I think it's just uh, important. And the thing, the second part of your question with regard to how I'm helping other CDOs is probably a couple of ways. I have to give a shout out to the National Association of Diversity Officers in Higher Education, of which I'm an officer, because they've been really intentional about, just like you, about these important offerings like webinars and making sure that members are connected, those engaged in this work are connected and not feeling alone and isolated. I feel one, I'm in a, an amazing community at UVA. I've been very fortunate in my career to be in some amazing communities, but there are other CDOs that don't have the same sentiments. And there are some that are feeling extremely siloed and feeling that their enthusiasm is quelled, right? And feeling that they are in places where they are feeling as though diversity, equity, inclusion thoughts are just on the margins, that there isn't uh, a, a belief of a need to really integrate them fully into decision-making processes now or in the past or quite honestly in the future and helping them think strategically, providing them with some cover, um, aligning them with others that may be in closer in proximity that they can really um, gain you know, insights and input to navigate this I think is important. I even have many kind of mentoring sessions that I will do with many CDOs that are out there and have done that for years and will continue to do that. So I think we're just trying to do kind of each one reach one, right? Um, kind of lifting as we climb and, and trying to help our community kind of navigate these places and spaces with the precision of a surgeon. Well, I love all your ideas, especially for some of those newer senior diversity officers, because I know when I was new to the role I was still trying to do it all, prove it. And I actually was in an imposter syndrome. So, you know, why, so I don't know if this translates at all, but I wonder if some earlier senior diversity officers might not think to reach out to all their mentors or say, can we have a group coaching call? Can you help organize? Or they themselves can just pull regional and not wait for someone else. Um, and I love your strategy of, Yes, you're working with senior leaders, but if that's if you're not finding the roads in, work with those individuals outside of, and then they might be the white person that'll raise the issue and you can be the second voice and then layers down. And the idea that came to me, which you were implying is in our role, particularly as folks of color, your role already often dismissed, but now might be peripheral, on the periphery. Right. Kathy, you really brought up a great point with regard to this notion of sometimes um, people, leaders, new leaders trying to do everything on their own. I mean, we probably have all on some level throughout our career suffered from that. I know I was one that when I started in the field, I really had that energy. I really had that drive and determination. And I wanted to do just, you kind of worked yourself into a frenzy. Um, I learned early on the importance of, of collaborating Right, the importance of relationship building. But I will tell you, I remember working <clears throat> at an institution 
and being recruited and leaving and going to another institution and calling my successor at the previous institution, just reaching out to say, hey, congratulations um, uh, on your appointment. If there's anything that I can do to support you in that effort, let me know. Um, I'd love to just be able to share my experiences, pick, choose, or refuse what you think could be valuable. And I remember the response from that um, CDO was, you know what, I I'm actually good. I actually don't need your help. I appreciate it, though. And that person was fired a year later, right? And I remember seeing him at a conference and he said, can I meet with you? And I said, sure. He said, Man, you know, I'm struggling. Um, and can you help me? And at that point in time, it had gotten so far down the road, it was difficult to do. So I think it's important that when we get in these roles, yeah, these are wonderful opportunities, but that doesn't mean these are wonderful opportunities that we have to navigate on our own. And to be able to leverage uh, additional capital that's out there by way of other people in the field that care about your well-being, that want you to be successful, that can share um, their own triumphs and trials um, that you can learn from, I think that is invaluable. So the same thing would be through this pandemic, right? If we can leverage each other and not feel as though, you know, our experiences are only our experiences and that we have to navigate this journey in some lonely, siloed way. Mm. We're about to go to break in a few minutes. Could you reflect and talk about if senior leaders do not partner with their thought partner, their senior diversity officer to keep equity inclusion on the table? Even in crisis management, what are the costs if we're making these quick decisions about now, short-term and about the fall? I see campuses wondering about, do we stay online in the fall? Furloughs, laying off. What are some of the costs if we do not keep equity, inclusion, social justice on our screen and slow down enough to talk about the impact across identity? Yeah, I, I, I think one of the things that particularly in the DEI space that leaders are very good at is their rhetoric. And if our action doesn't match our rhetoric, we run the risk of ultimately diluting the effectiveness of all that we move forward with in the DEI space. We run the risk of hurting credibility. We run the risk of hurting our institutional brand. We run the risk, quite honestly, of our own recruitment and retention efforts, the things that help buoy the viability of our organizations, right? We run the risk of ultimately centralizing at the core uh, this DEI work. And if we can't do that and we can't demonstrate it, right, in our actions, um, it really makes everything else um, seem false. It seems like some facade um, that we're trying to sell to not just our internal community, but our external community. And many of the institutions have their own complex histories that they are dealing with. And those communities, they want a reason to believe in the institution. They want a reason to believe in the leadership. The students want an education that prepares them for the global marketplace. And to do that, they have to believe that the leadership are, are connected to their core, to these important issues of equity, that they're, they're it's not just, right? They're not just, they're dr not driven by academic capitalism, but they actually have some level of social justice uh, within their core that really resonates with, with the students of today, our faculty and our staff. You're reminding me that these uh, traditional age college students coming in and millennials, I see that data of a social reason, a justice reason, a new world. And so many of the leaders are my age or not much younger. And yet 
the financial, when I'm triggered into financial insecurity, so how could you argue that actually equity, inclusion, social justice is our financial future given the demographic shifts? Is there anything more that- Yeah, I mean, I think we have to- generation to care. We have to be, I mean, quite honestly, this pandemic is forcing institutions to be organizationally reflective of the traditional ways that they've attempted to deliver uh, these educational experiences, the, to, the traditional ways that they've attempted to kind of live out their higher education mantras. I mean, we really have to think about how do we ultimately meet the needs that are out there, right? For those that ultimately are having challenges financially, for those that are um, part of that changing demographics that we say we want to reach, this is our time to kind of put up or shut up because quite honestly, if in fact we don't, there are gonna be other institutions that are gonna capitalize on that and figure out how to reach those demographics. It's so funny, I was, I was laughing with someone and saying, you know, many of the institutions that have figured out how to leverage uh, their online offerings are right now in a better situation than those that happen, right? This notion of having to now switch on the fly to deliver things online and deliver things virtually uh, it's a major lift for many institutions that have not been thoughtful in that process. The same goes with ultimately the changing demographics with reaching uh, our very diverse communities, um, reaching the needs that are out there and filling and meeting those needs. If we don't figure out how to do that in ways that are viable, not by our standards, but by their standards, um, we won't be able to move forward. So powerful. As we go to break, Kevin, do you mind just sharing with folks how they can contact you if they want to continue the conversation and maybe possibly have you come to campus or help them with some of their strategic planning? And how do they find you? Yeah, one of the easiest ways is probably just sending me an email at kgmhkm at virginia.edu. You can look up inclusive excellence at UVA and find me that way as well. Anything diversity, equity, inclusion at UVA, you'll find me, but probably email is a great way and I would welcome the opportunity to carry on these conversations. And if folks want to find some of the free resources that I'm offering on the Transformation Change radio page, or you can always go to my website, drkathyobear.com backslash events, E-V-N-T-S. You'll find some resources there about navigating difficult situations. My course that I just made free during the pandemic, I'll keep it free during the transition as well, uh, worksheets and a whole course and a book on how do you deal with self-care and community care in for the long haul, because we are in this for the long haul. We're gonna transition to a break. When we come back more with Dr. Kevin McDonald, insights from senior diversity officers, how do you keep an equity inclusion lens during this pandemic and beyond. We'll see you in a few moments. Raising the vibrations through stimulating conversations while exploring the mysteries of Atlantis and Lemuria on Tales from the Merworld Radio with me, Amira Beth. Join us every second and fourth Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Be ready to feel empowered and an active part of the changing earth. For more information about me, visit amerabeth.com. Hey, how's it going? If it's stressful or just plain exhausting, New Light Living is here to ask, 
Is this the way you want to live? Join me, your intuitive spiritual life coach and host, Orika Sullivan, every week on New Light Living. Discover the power of creative tools to start living every day as your ideal dream day. See your life in the new light. To learn more, visit newlightliving.com. Are you ready to awaken to your divine and true potential? Tune in to a Spirited Exchange Radio with me, Carrie Kadambi, every second and fourth Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. We discuss the evolution of the modern mind and how the power of awakening, healing, and connecting allows us to step into living a life of love in action. For more information about me, visit TheDivineGuidanceGift.com. Have you ever wondered what your pets think about Do you know what your pets are saying to you? Dr. Monica will be your pet's translator to help you understand what your pets are trying to communicate to you. Enhance the bond with your furry friends on Pets Talk with Pet Communicator, Dr. Monica, each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information about Dr. Monica, visit PetCommunicator.com. Living a richly abundant life sound too good to be true? Listen in to Richly Abundant Women with Julie Steelman on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Embrace a vibrant future of breaking free financially and creating a richly abundant life filled with prosperity and growth. To learn more about Julie Steelman and Richly Abundant Women, visit www.juliesteelman.com. What would you do with the power of community? How do you create your own rituals? Tune into Living Your Gifts with me, Susan Huff, Ancient Applications for Modern Times, the second Wednesday of each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Our lives begin with the stories we are told and the stories we tell ourselves. Storytelling is the key. To learn more about me, visit LivingYourGifts.com. That's LivingYourGifts.com. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear with Transformation and Change Radio and the phenomenal Dr. Kevin McDonald, Vice President of Equity, Diversity, Inclusion at University of Virginia. Kevin, I'm loving our conversation. Thank you so much for squeezing us in because I can't imagine all the crisis emergency management that you are doing today on this day. Well, I appreciate the invitation, Kathy. This has been a great conversation thus far. Thank you. As we're looking at what can senior diversity officers, let me be clear, they might be called chief diversity officers in your organization. Many are moving towards vice president roles. And um, it was really folks who are Native American colleagues of mine that challenged me and I'm sure 20 times before I finally shifted to say actually the word chief is replicating racist um, colonist dynamics. And I didn't understand at the time. so I. That's the language I'm using. And um, how do you keep a focus during this pandemic and beyond? So as we start the second half, could you talk about some of the specific strategies that you already are doing and other people in your campus to really serve with an equity inclusion lens and to keep it on the table, as well as what you're planning to do? Because it's only been, what, three, four, five weeks of shelter at home and like you said, Herculean shifts by faculty, staff, and students to, oof, so some specific ideas would be great. Yeah, um, one of this 
those ideas kind of stem from what do we do in this kind of aftermath, right? So as soon as we kind of went into the stay at home kind of mandates within our own state, a lot of our team within our division for diversity, equity, inclusion started thinking about how do we continue to move this work forward? We recognize that our, our leadership were grappling with a number of different things, but we also recognize that we had cross-functional partners across the university that were also engaged in this work. And so we quickly got on a Zoom call and connected with, we have um, an academic unit called the Equity Center that's really engaged uh, in research and education that both allows um, a less extractive experience when researchers go into the community that really educates our faculty, staff, and students how to engage more with the community, develops authentic, st strong, strategic um, community partnerships. So we got them on a Zoom call. We got um, others within the Office of the Provost that were engaged in community outreach work. We got those within our own health system that were really engaged in this work and really just talked about the needs within the community, how they were ultimately filling those needs and how we could collaborate um, to ultimately move forward. One of the things early on that we identified was that there was both a need for additional volunteers and a desire from those that were staying at home that wanted to volunteer more of their time mm -hmm. to support the community. So how do we deploy those human resource needs that are out there? How do we ultimately utilize additional needs to build and, uh, and support our food banks um, to impact food insecurities that are out there? How do we ultimately leverage and partner with those that are trying to uh, coordinate within our city and our county with hotels to make more rooms available? So it was amazing to just see how our community came together um, to ultimately kind of meet some of these needs, even with those kind of launching uh, kind of online support for um, the additional kind of masks that are needed by healthcare workers or others. So it's been amazing just to see how the community has come together. And we've been engaged in that uh, process. So that's been incredibly important for us. The other piece that was important for us was how are we gonna continue to try to deliver um, some of the DEI content that we needed to deliver uh, to many of our constituency. We started hearing from our constituency saying, listen, I'm isolated at home. I feel as though um, I'm evaporating, if you will, because I'm not having a connection to this DEI information. Have you thought about how we were going to take some of those um, deliverables that we provided in person and provide them online so that those within the comfort of their homes or wherever they are could ultimately access that? And that's why we were grateful to connect with you. You had the, the wherewithal to reach out and just do a check-in you know, with me as a, one of your many partners um, in this space. And while we were talking, um, you shared you know, some of the online free delivery uh, content that you're providing for those in this space. And it just got us to thinking, gosh, we should be offering this and marketing this to our community, not just our community at UVA, but to our local community and our colleagues in the county. Um, so we're really excited to partner that, but ultimately utilize that to create some models, cohort or otherwise, moving forward with some of your content that's also going to allow us to leverage some of our faculty that are engaged in this space in, in virtual ways as well for type of deliverables and a lecture series. So we are living by this no notion that we're only limited by our own creativity, Kathy, and uh, I think we're leveraging that 
am grateful for partners like you who are uh, delivering and offering awesome content. Well, I'm excited that those resources can be useful and there are so many other folks that have wonderful resources. Actually, <clears throat> talking to you a couple of weeks ago when you asked if I had a diversity certificate program and I'm like, not for just kind of entry level, mid-level. So you gave me back an idea. So I'll be working on that this summer because um, I do see a gap because my fear, well, well, it may be the perfect thing, but I wonder how often we'll be in an online environment. And I do wonder if through this crisis management, more and more staff, faculty, and students have increased their online literacy and capacity, even though, and maybe even access if the university is helping with folks who don't have um, the computer, the internet access. So is that something you all are already practically thinking about is, what if through summer and fall, we need to stay online? And what would that mean, particularly for equity inclusion diversity efforts? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, first of all, I think this is gonna be the new normal for the foreseeable future. So we have to be nimble and, and flexible uh, and, and adaptable, right? And so we're going to ultimately have to live with this notion that we may have a fall that's uh, wholly online. And what are the equity implications of that for those who don't have internet access where that isn't viable or those who don't have the technology um, to leverage that? How are we ultimately gonna mitigate that? I saw something where Comcast was offering free internet access you know, to those in need for a certain period of time. Um, but how are we ultimately partnering with partners across our nation and across our world to ultimately fill in some of the equity gaps that exist for some of the decisions that we're gonna make as we move forward. So you're absolutely right. So my guess is your president is already doing this, getting together other regional leaders and the governor, because I know you are very active at the state level and negotiating from that level with Comcast, T-Mobile, whomever that might be to extend that, because my memory was about two months. What I'm loving about your strategy is that you are at a, systemic collaborative with community k-12 partners state whereas not all senior diversity officers have that level of access and opportunity and i just learned something that outside of educational virtual opportunities all the work that you're doing to support folks getting involved in your community they're learning about equity inclusion lens by doing. So outside, literally outside of the classroom, they're understanding more about immigration status, race, class, and it's opening their hearts because they're with people who are in such dire need and devastated by this pandemic. And that might be what's needed for us folks in so many privileged identities to get out of our heads, actively more involved and then we might be more open to, I realized I, I didn't know what to do when a microaggression happened when I was serving, you know, working with the food, I didn't know what to do, then they might be more willing. So that was a new thought I just had. I think you're right, Kathy. And I, I mean, I think that's the best way just by doing to build the trust that's needed in our communities, right? There are so many communities that have a lack of trust. In higher education, we often talk about within our own kind of higher ed spaces, the lack of trust within administration. Well, outside of those walls, within the local town gown, there's also often a lack of trust um, with the institution, right? There's this notion of the institutional resources, how many of those are ultimately funneled towards the community to help support 
community needs. This is just one thing that this pandemic has shown, that there are community needs that are out there. And this is an opportunity, again, for our institutions to be able to collaborate, work with the community in ways that are not looking for something in return, but pouring into the needs that are there, filling up the important cups and building uh, important levels of trust that I think will ultimately be able to carry forward, you know, and in, in the future of however that relationship is going to build uh, with future community needs. So I'm excited about the opportunity, but it really is an opportunity for our institutions to ultimately have their action again, match their rhetoric. On the external level, and I want to talk about the internal level. I wonder if it's an incredible opportunity for senior leadership teams and then those folks with their directs to truly be leading in new ways, more inclusive ways, really caring about people, people first. As you said, really intentionally, collectively looking at how are our old ways perpetuating racist, white supremacist ways of being, classist ways of being. And that language may not work for every organization, but just they weren't as productive as we are finding we are now when we're leading with heart and task. So can you talk a bit about either what you're noticing at UVA, how people are learning new ways of engaging and maybe ways to help them see those so they become a part of the new normal? I think leaders, I think organizations are definitely being much more reflective for a number of reasons. If, if any, at, at many of the roots of those will be the fiscal needs, right? I mean, they're just financial implications that mean that we actually have to have a much more of a collaborative spirit than we may have in the past because we ultimately need others um, to make us whole and to be, become more viable. I mean, the, the notion of what economic viability is gonna look like moving forward um, is scary for many. I saw and read something that said there's a potential for 500 to 1,000 universities to close um, just as a result of this pandemic, right? And if that is the case, if that was the model that ultimately um, comes through to fruition, what does that mean, right? For those that may be teetering, what, are the, what does that mean for those that are looking at ways to make sure that they are viable moving forward? So coming out of this pandemic means a lot more. And I think to do that effectively, we have to have those that are being reflective in their own leadership and how they've navigated that reflective in our own organizational kind of functioning and how we've navigated that and how we're meeting the needs, not of a select few, right, of those across a broad continuum, which has its own kind of equity implications that we can't turn away from, we can't hide, we can't suggest don't exist. I mean, if there's one thing that this pandemic is, is showing us uh, is the impact on a number of different communities, um, those with severe economic needs are black and brown communities, right? The impact is tremendous. And there are a number of reasons of systems and structures that have been set up, right, that impact those. Those are essential workers that don't have the ability to ultimately stay at home if they want to, right? They're on the front lines there. I have two good friends that, um, you know, one is at a nursing home, one is a nurse in a hospital, both. Um, husband and wife contracted COVID, right? And so, I mean, the thought of it all for them, they didn't have this opportunity to se select out and say, you know what, I'll just stay at home. And so I just think that our institutions have to think about the implications and have to think about ways in which 
they can mitigate those for the communities that they serve. And if they can, they will build up a level of important cultural capital moving forward that will build a level of trust uh, and quite honestly have them looking as a, an important viable option for prized possessions from students, for faculty, for staff recruitment, um, for partnerships in important communities because of what they've done through this pandemic. I love these ideas and I'm still stuck with personally, you have two friends that are positive that you know of yeah. and knowing statistically African-American blacks two and three times higher rate of positive and death. And yes. I think the rates of Latinx and indigenous, especially Navajo are also beginning to also get, I'm just sitting with that reality and how do we help our leaders and the people at all levels? Cause the other pieces, what structures could help? Because I join you that the folks directly serving students, directly on the front lines, teaching, working with faculty, they often know innovative ideas that could help fill these gaps and they see the cracks. Well, what could help leaders that are still running a thousand miles a minute and so focused on financial viability how can, as we move forward, what could we put in place to help leaders also have the internal resources personally as well as others so that we are always keeping equity, inclusion, social justice on our lens as we are just trying to innovate and know that it may not work, but we're going to keep trying and get better? I'll give you one example that I was, um, I continue to just fall back on and, and remember. I remember working at Rochester Institute of Technology. And when I worked at RIT, Rochester was second in the nation in concentrated poverty. I'm told that it's now number one, right? And I remember a dean of a specific college there at RIT saying, we have to do something. We can do better. We can be better. And I remember him leveraging the brilliant student minds to come up with an internet network in a impoverished area in Rochester to be able to give a particular community segment internet access, some viability to the internet that would help them in their own homes have access to something that they didn't have access to. So, so, so ultimately, I, I guess what I'm saying is that I think we have to continue um, to look at setbacks as setups for comebacks, right? And to look at these as opportunities for us to continue to leverage the ingenuity that is there in our within our own academic and administrative units, within our own colleges and universities to impact communities in positive ways, to, to make sure we're filling gaps, to identify, and particularly look, we continue to say this, and you you are um, one of the, the, the important kind of preachers of this as well, Kathy, this notion of looking at data disaggregated to see what kind of gaps it's, it's sharing with us, right? And being able to fill those gaps. What is the narrative? What is the story that is telling us in our communities, within our own institutions, and then leveraging all of that expertise. And it's not just from our fa faculty and our staff and our leaders, but our students, we have some of the most brilliant minds, <laughs> you know, that are making up our institutions, leveraging that. That's what they want, that these students, this day and age, are change agents. 
They are coming to our institutions wanting to positively impact the world. They are not here just to get a degree. They're not here just to make their parents or legal guardians happy. They're here because they want to change the world. They want to be taught by change agents. They want to be led by change agents because they see themselves as change agents. So how do we just leverage them to impact communities um, that are abroad? I'll give you one last example, just a small one. But there was a student, uh, a member of the Latinx community that lost a couple of jobs on grounds at the at UVA and, and her colleague reached out to me and said, can we do something to help her? And I said, yeah, tell me a little bit about the background of the students. And they said, oh, this student is just passionate and engaged in the Latinx community. She volunteers, she does daycare. She, I mean, she does everything in the Latinx community, has so many relationships. And that was an important gap for our division is it was building the relationships within the Latinx community. Since I had been here, that was the one gap that I hadn't been able to fully take advantage of. And I said, gosh, this student is out there leading the charge, developing all of these relationships, creating these after-school programs. Absolutely, we can utilize that. And she's so excited to be able to come on and work as a student worker in our division to give us access and help build access to create important uh, and build bridges and relationships within the Latinx community. So again, just thinking creatively around that is gonna be important for us. So looking at not only your area, but challenging staff and faculty administrators, what student roles do you have? And could you be more strategic about bringing in students starting in the summer who have the capacities that will help us do what we need to be doing? Two other ideas, just listen to you. Could you imagine if people in your role work with senior leaders to come up with some dollars for faculty revise their summer offerings, their course offerings to be about how do we serve to teach students, but not teach them about how do you empower students to be creative and what projects, just like your Rochester one. Brilliant. I don't even know what's needed, but from whatever angle they are, how can it be about serving our current communities, our campus, what do we need to do? And I'm not saying 100%, but I bet 20 to 30% of the faculty might be able to be creative with some extra resources and faculty development support. Um, and then reminding folks about how much Asian American hate crime and racism has just been escalating. So whether it's that topic or all the others around immigration and xenophobia, just reminding staff and faculty what the current state is and here are some resources, places to come together to brainstorm and some resources to support you and others developing something new. And Kathy, I would be remiss if I didn't recognize the, there is a, this amazing center called the Equity Center. I referenced them earlier, but they are doing some amazing work as well and working within our own community. They have created something called an Equity Atlas to just identify the areas within the broader community of the inequities that exist so that we can, we don't have to take the time to wonder what the data is saying. They're doing the research, they're working with the community so we can know where we need to put our time, our talents, our resources, human and financial to support the community needs. But these are our faculty, these are our staff, these are our students that are really working to identify this. And I, I think it's just the brilliant minds that are within our institution that are helping us engage in important ways. So something intrasite, what's going on on our communities that are impacting our students and our staff who live in our communities and also, what are you noticing in our services, our practices, our policies, how we engage and make decisions that are getting the cracks are so much more visible. 
And that might be the same organization or it might be a vice president of student affairs or it might be actually literally the president doing that. And what within those policies or practices are serving as impediments to progress, right? There could be historic things that have been there for years that we have not taken the time to unpack. I mean, that's part of the strategic efforts that we need to be involved in uh, in this work uh, in, as, as heads of DEI work within our respective organizations, the strategic kind of frameworks that are driving the institution that allow us to be reflective of those um, systems and structures, those policies and procedures that have been impediments to us moving this important work forward. So you're right, you have to be able to ask it. And if you can't ask it in a pandemic, I don't know when you can ask it. So use this time of chaos and innovation and fear to ask the questions. Can you imagine if chancellors and presidents were supported to know what to ask and how as they're holding open forums, as they're doing their weekly coffee transparent update to say all that you just said, but it's going to take senior diversity officers or partnering with a white person that gets heard if the senior diversity doesn't to say, I think we need to be saying this. Just the last couple minutes, any final thoughts, tips, advice that are just coming to you? Because I'm getting all sorts of ideas listening. Yeah, I, I would say um, I think it's important in this work, particularly in these times of in moments of isolation, to do what you're doing, just to stay connected, to continue to think strategically. That's the one thing that we continue to say in the field is that we're trying to move this work now from the margins of just the moral imperative to this notion of what gets measured, gets done. How do we continue, even in the wake of a pandemic, uh, uh, of now moving things to kind of virtual offerings, to continue to think about important strategic kind of frameworks that will drive this work. You talked about some of my past work, and I mean, it's only through that level of uh, being reflective that, that I'm able to actually move this work, not just from an organizational infrastructure, but to the community and the ways that the community actually adopted the same strategic frameworks that we were implementing at the university right there in Missouri. And even here in the state of Virginia, we have a state that's now adopted our strategic framework from throughout the state of Virginia. So I just think we have to continue to move this work forward, be creative, uh, continue to live by this notion that we're only limited by our own creativity and utilize this pandemic to continue to identify and work with others to create creative ways to have transformational impacts in our communities that we serve. Thank you so much, Dr. Kevin McDonald, University of Virginia. I am leaving so much more feeling alive. Can you please just remind people quickly how they can find you and then I will close the show. Awesome, yes, please uh, email me kgm8km at virginia.edu or look up inclusive excellence at the University of Virginia and uh, you will find me there as well. Thank you, Kathy. This has been amazing. Really appreciate our time together. You are amazing. And people can always find all kinds of free resources, drkathyoberry.com backslash events, including my upcoming webinar on creating inclusive inclusion partners inside organizations. And join me this Thursday, April 23rd for part two with a senior diversity officer, Dr. Michelle Lloyd Page from Calvin University. I wish you all the best. I hope all are safe and well. And uh, thank you for all you do. You've been listening to Dr. Kathy O'Bear on Transformation Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in. And be sure to catch us next time as Kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change, motivate, innovate, and speak truth to power. Step into the courageous you that will change the world. Connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach 
For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com.